Church of Christ presents Crossing Borders. The sermon by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, January 1st, 2023. Well, Happy New Year again, and happy eighth day of Christmas, because it is still Christmas, and it will be Christmas until January 6th, the Feast of the Epiphany, the text for which Kathy just read for us. The rest of the world is moving on, but the calendar of the church year invites us to linger a little longer in the wonder of Christmas, the astonishment of God's power and human frailty meeting in one person, a person who began the same way we all do, small and helpless and precious beyond speaking. As we saw with the nativity stories from Luke, There are parts of today's narrative that seem vivid in our imaginations, not because we have the text memorized, we're not Baptists after all, but because we have images of the text supplied to us by Christmas cards and carols, pageants and the crush scenes we have in our homes, and even the storybook I just read for the children of the church. We think we know the story of the three kings who followed a star over field and fountain until it came to rest over the stable. We picture those kings arriving a few minutes after the shepherds, piling into the room behind them, kneeling there in the hay, and wowing those poor, simple country folk with the richness of their gifts. But in the text, these travelers were not kings, It's not clear that there were three of them, and however many of them there were, we're not sure that they were all men. Probably, given history and power in history, but not necessarily. We don't often see that in our crush scenes. We don't know whether the author intended this as a report of an actual historical event, or if, even when it was written, it was written as a parable. We do know that Matthew includes this story in his nativity sequence as part of an overture to his whole gospel, summarizing many of the main themes that will follow. In Matthew's story, we find foreign magi, people who are probably astrologers and or philosophers, who acknowledge Jesus as the king of the Jews. Jesus, the king of the Jews, and not Herod which is fascinating because they say it right to King Herod's face. We've come seeking the new king. Herod had been given that specific title, not king of Israel, not tetrarch, but king of the Jews by the Roman rulers Antony and Octavia. Octavian, excuse me. He loved that title. The kingdom of God that will be announced and described in the rest of the Gospel of Matthew will be a kingdom of justice and righteousness brought by the true king, not the one imposed by Roman power, not the kind of kingdom that Herod wields with his violence. Matthew doesn't use this title, King of the Jews, again until Jesus is standing before Pilate, who judges and executes Jesus at the end of the Gospel. Pilate succeeds, 
where Herod only tried. I left out of today the thing that happens after the Magi had found the new family and paid their homage, after they received a new sign, not in the skies, but in their dreams, after they received that warning not to go back to Herod, but to head home by another way, bypassing Herod with his suspicious request for the exact location of the baby in Bethlehem. I wonder that they needed a dream to tell them what intuition might make plain. That Herod, who was infamous for his power games and for killing anyone who threatened his dominion, up to and including his wife and two sons. I wonder that they needed a dream to tell them that this same Herod, of course, had no intention of paying homage to an infant upstart claiming his title. After all that, the visit, the dream warning, and the escape by another way, Herod realized that he had been tricked. And so, the story goes, he lived up to his reputation and sent and had all the children under the age of two in the whole area of Bethlehem destroyed to prevent that upstart king from surviving. But of course, Herod failed because Joseph was also warned in a dream, and he spirited his little family out of town and across a border and into safety in Egypt. And I hope being in peril in Egypt and then restored to Israel for safety reminds you of an earlier story of God's care for the people, because this story, like so much else in Matthew, is meant to be an echo and to root Jesus, descendant of David, Messiah, and King of the Jews in the long story of the people and their relationship to God. Matthew's somewhat menacing nativity narrative reveals a Jesus under peril from Rome from the moment of his birth. It also reveals a Jesus who is king of his own nonviolent realm of compassion from that very same moment. And in that very same moment, the story serves to highlight another theme of Matthew's gospel, that this quintessential Jewish Messiah, the new Moses and fulfillment of scripture, is the savior not just for Israel, but for the whole world. The Magi from the East are specifically not Jews. The Greco-Roman world, which was dominated by Roman political power, was vibrant with cultural and religious exchange. As long as people acknowledged the semi-divine or divine status of the emperor, they were free to experiment with and pay devotion to any number of deities whom they chose. These magi, astrologers and philosophers, likely from Persia, were paying attention to messages of transcendence from places across the Greco-Roman world. And so to them, the good news was revealed. Matthew opens, the Gospel of Matthew opens with the story of representatives of the wider world, both endangering and honoring Jesus. Rome and the Magi stand at the two extremes. The Gospel is filled with references to the way that Jesus' birth, his life, his teaching and death all fulfilled prophecy. And it concludes with this admonition, go therefore into the world and make disciples everywhere, 
And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As a new year begins and we linger in the season of Christmas and our ancient stories of border-crossing magi and a refugee holy family, those stories invite us to reflect on what borders we have had to cross, metaphorical ones in our emotional, intellectual, and spiritual lives, and what messages of God's love and constancy have come to us to sustain us across those borders. What lights have we followed as we've crossed borders internally? And also, where have we seen people crossing physical borders, either because they have a new living situation, a new health challenge in our own stationary lives? Even as we have been crossing internal borders, where have we seen refugees crossing real political borders? Anxious refugees at our own southern border, refugees fleeing from Ukraine, and poor people around the globe fleeing the violence of wealthier people. As we look back on the year that has been, what messages of God's love and constancy have given us the courage to keep moving forward? Whether we ourselves have had a year of relative stability or one filled with border crossings on every hand, how have we been the messenger of God's love and constancy to ourselves and to those around us. People in transitions of every kind need light. How have we been God's light? How have we been God's light to the refugees on our southern border, people fleeing violence in Ukraine? How can we be and remain light, the light that we have received? How can we give it forth to people crossing borders that we can see and internal borders that we can only imagine. I'm paraphrasing from the words of Reverend Sue Grace from her blog, Companions on the Way. I hope for all of us who have adoringly or casually or maybe just curiously looked into the manger that having glimpsed the divine in human flesh, we see everything differently. Maybe this Christmas we have understood more fully than before that because of Christmas, all flesh is sacred, human, animal, material, all human, the houseless, the housed, the refugee, the citizen, the colonized, the colonizer. And therefore, how we live and interact with all other life forms is either sacred or a desecration of life. Maybe we have glimpsed that the light can be born in even the most ordinary and humble of places, and in humble and ordinary persons like ourselves. And that what we seek is therefore right underneath our noses all the time. Maya Angelou wrote this beautiful poem, My Wish for You in This New Year is that you continue, continue to be who and how you are, to astonish a mean world with your acts of kindness. Continue to allow humor to lighten the burden of your tender heart. Continue in a society dark with cruelty 
to let the people hear the grandeur of God in the peals of your laughter. Continue to let your eloquence elevate the people to heights they had only imagined. Continue to remind people that each is as good as the other and that no one is beneath or above you. Continue to remember your own young years and look with favor upon the lost and the least and the lonely. Continue to put the mantle of your protection around the bodies of the young and the defenseless. Continue to take the hand of the despised and diseased and walk proudly with them in the high street so some might see you and be encouraged to do likewise. Continue to plant a public kiss of concern on the cheek of the sick and the aged and the infirm and count that as a natural action to be expected. Continue to let gratitude be the pillow upon which you kneel. Say your nightly prayer and let faith be the bridge you build to overcome evil and welcome good. Continue to ignore no vision which comes to enlarge your range and increase your spirit. Continue to dare to love deeply and risk everything for the good thing. Continue to float happily in the sea of infinite substance which set aside riches for you before you even had a name. Continue, and by doing so, you and your work will be able to continue eternally. Let Christmas continue to percolate in you. Let the new year unfold in you. Let Epiphany shine a new and different light on the issues of your life. And then make your way to your true home by whatever road is life-giving. Amen. Listen, listen.